to provocative thought, intimately known as TT, striving to awaken those who are asleep, stimulate those who are awake, feed those who are starving, and nurture those who seek to know. I am your host, Carlton Steed, a self-proclaimed student of life in the search, discovery, and revelation of life on life's terms. First, I'd like to thank Queen Mother for Real Media for allowing me to host this show. Also, I'd like to thank the creator for allowing me to be. You can contact the show by dialing 347-989-0180. Please. Press 1 to speak. You can reach us on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com backslash Queen Mother for the number real. And listen to the show live. Again, you can contact the show by dialing 347-989-018. Press 1 to speak. If you don't press one, you, you won't receive the call. You'll just be a listener. You can also contact us on Facebook at Provocative Thought PT, Community Organization. Tonight's topic, capital felony, punishable by death. Capital punishment. This is a crime. This crime is a capital fel- felony, punishable by death the murder of a law enforcement officer, sheriff or deputy sheriff, department or correction employee, or firefighter in the line of duty. It is a capital crime to murder a law enforcement officer, sheriff or deputy sheriff, department or correction employee in the line of duty. Should it be a capital crime for a law enforcement officer, sheriff or deputy sheriff, Department of Correction employee to murder someone? What do you think? Statute 18 U.S. Code, Statute 18 U.S. Code, Statute 1111, murder. Murder is the unlawful killing of a human being with malice, a forethought. Every murder perpetrated by poison, lying in wait, or any kind of willful, deliberate, malicious, and premeditated killing, or committed in the perpetration of or attempt to perpetrate any arson, escape, murder, kidnapping, treason, espionage, sabotage, aggravated sexual abuse or sexual abuse, child abuse, burglary or robbery or perpetrated as a part of a pattern or practice of assault or torture against a child or children or perpetrated from a premeditated design unlawfully and maliciously to affect the death of any human being other than him who is killed is murder in the first degree. Any other murder is murder in the second degree. So what is murder? Murder is the killing of another person without a valid excuse or justification or with malice forethought, a forethought. Murder, 
as the lawful, as the unlawful killing of a human being is a crime that society sees as deserving the most severe punishment. As such, an individual convicted of murder may be sentenced to severe to serve many years in prison, to serve the rest of his life in prison without the possibility of being paroled or being sentenced to death. Degrees of murder. Each state has specific definitions of murder, which are broken down by severity of the crime. The elements of each degree of murder include first degree, second degree, and voluntary or involuntary manslaughter are similar in each state. First degree murder, first degree murder also refers to as is also referred to as capital murder. Involves intent to kill and premeditation. That's your hit man. That's all you go out, I'm gonna kill this guy, he steps on my shoes, I'm gonna go put two in his head, or you know, you miss with my girlfriend, I'm gonna go kill this guy. You, you plan to go kill somebody. So even though that might be mixed up in there with the heat of passion kind of like thing. Okay. So in basic terms, the perpetrator plans to kill the victim and then follow through with his plan. Even a few moments of planning or thinking about killing the victim may be counted as premeditation. Other circumstances that classify as murder as first degree include killing that occurred while the defendant was committed, committing another felony. A person can be charged with first degree murder, felony murder, if while he is committing a dangerous crime, someone died. In such cases, the defendant may face first degree murder charges, even if he is not the person who actually killed the victim. For example, Don set the house on fire in which he is arrested and charged with the felony crime of arson. Putting the fire, by putting out the fire, a firefighter is killed. Although John had no intention for anyone to be killed, this reckless and dangerous act has a high probability of causing serious injury or death. John may be charged with first-degree murder. Special circumstances. In some jurisdictions, the law specifies certain special circumstances surrounding the crime which raise the degree to first degree or capital murder automatically. In these jurisdictions, the application of any of the listed special circumstances make the crime eligible for the death penalty. Special circumstances often include the killing of more than one person. The killing was accomplished through lying in wait. The killing was accomplished by poison, beheading, or torture. Second-degree murder. Second-degree murder is a criminal act of killing another person with intent, but without premeditation. In simple terms, a person can face second-degree murder charges if he intentionally causes another person to lose his life with no planning or without taking an opportunity to put some thought into it. Second-degree murder is less serious than first degree murder, and is not subject to the death penalty. The exact laws regarding second degree murder vary by jurisdiction. That means state to state. Uh, but all, but in all states, it is considered as a felony crime, and the penalties are severe. <clears throat> Excuse me. Typically, a person can be found guilty of second degree murder if any of the following circumstances following circumstances exist. The killing was the result of an act that was intended to cause serious harm. The killing was the result of an act 
that showed the perpetrator had an indifference to human life. The killing was done impulsively in a time of high emotion. That's that guy going out to kill that guy that was with his girlfriend. For example, Jim and Rob are walking opposite direction down the street. Jim bumps into Rob and continues walking without apologizing. Rob gets angry, pulls out a gun, and shoots Jim. Bang! Rob can be convicted of second-degree murder as he had intended to kill Jim, but it was not premeditated. Voluntary manslaughter. Voluntary manslaughter refers to the murder that is perpetrated in the heat of passion or during the commission of another felony crime. Heat of passion refers to the most favorite individual who has been strongly provoked to violence who leads to this act to his act of murder that leads to his act of murder. Heat of passion cannot be claimed if the perpetrator had a cooling off period between the provoking incident and the killing. For example, Mary comes home to find her husband. Oh, this is the one with the boyfriend. Mary comes home to find her husband having an affair with another woman. Mary is also stunned and angry that she pulls out of the bedside drawer and she pulls a gun out of the bedside drawer and shoots her husband, killing him. Mary's emotional state in the face of finding her husband in bed with another woman would be considered a key to pass. Involuntary manslaughter. Involuntary manslaughter refers to the unintentional killing of another person due to recklessness or neglect, negligent conduct, or during the commission of a crime that is not a felony. For example, after a couple of hours of drinking at the corner bar, Brad gets into his car to drive home. Brad speeds through the stop sign, striking another car, killing his driver, although Brad had no intention to kill someone. His reckless conduct and driving under the influence is likely to subject him to a charge of involuntary manslaughter. Punishment for second-degree murder. Second-degree murder is a very serious crime. The the punishment for which is set by the laws of each state. While the punishment for second-degree murder may range from several years in prison to life in prison, the perpetrator is not subject to the death penalty. The perpetrator is not subject to the death penalty. During the sentencing of an individual convicted of second-degree murder, the judge and jury generally consider a number of aggravating and mitigating circumstances. Seems like we have laws for conduct resulting in the unlawful loss of life. Capital felony. The following crimes are capital felonies punishable by death. Murder of a law enforcement officer, sheriff, or deputy sheriff, department of correction employee, or firefighter in the line of duty. It should be a capital fit if a law enforcement officer, sheriff, or deputy sheriff, department of correction employee, or firefighter murders someone in the line of duty, unless it is their duty to murder people. Getting placed on death duty, sit home with pay, or fired is hardly an appropriate consequence. Murder for hire. That's a hit, man. And the TV show with that guy on the guy kills for, for money. Um, murder committed by someone who has a previous intentional murder conviction. Conviction for murder committed in the course of a felony. So if you're robbing a bank and you kill somebody, you got that. Murder committed by someone serving a life sentence. So you're serving a life sentence and you kill somebody. So you ain't have nothing to lose, or you got your life to lose. 
murder, murdering a kidnapped person, causing someone's death by selling him hard drugs. Alcohol is a hard drug and it causes death. It is so legally in the U.S. Who is prosecuted for the many alcohol deaths in the United States? All withdrawal can result in death, seizures, heart attacks, stroke in the U.S.? 50,000 cases of alcohol poisoning. There are 50,000 cases of alcohol poisoning yearly. One patient dies a week from alcohol poisoning. The CDC reported in 2013, 18,146 people died from alcoholic, alcohol liver disease. 29,001 died from alcohol-induced issues, excluding accidents and murder. Alcohol is the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States. How many arrests were made? Murder committed during the first degree sexual assault. Murder of two or more people at the same time or in the course of a single transaction. Murder of a person under age 16. I don't quite get that. Seems like um, everybody's life is uh, of value. So 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, you know. What's that saying? Uh, it seems like it discriminates against the age of the um, victim. But anyway, after a person is convicted of a capital felony, the judge or jury considering whether the court should impose the death penalty must determine and state in a specific verdict whether one or more aggravating factors outweigh one or more mitigating factors, and the existence of any automatic bars to the death penalty. Penalty. If the mitigating factors outweigh the aggravating factors or are equal in weight, the court must sentence the defendant to life imprisonment without the possibility of release. If the aggravating factors outweigh the mitigating factors, we have a caller. Hold on, caller. We're going to get you in. Hello, caller. Hello. Hello, Hello caller. Hello. Hello, this is Q. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. This is Q? Yes. Hello? Yes, this is Q. Welcome to, welcome to the back of the store. What's going on? Hey, good evening, caller. Um, just, just checking. Are you the only one now landing the fort today? Or do you have assistance? Yeah, I got a little bit of assistance. I have, I have some assistance, but you know, you know, you know how it is. Oh. We're good. Did you want to comment on the show? Oh, okay. Um, just want to first of all say hi to you and your assistant. And um, yeah, I got a comment. Uh, I think uh, ideally. If um, things are working right and everything being in the ground forward, that um, all of our law enforcement type would be received more favorably with the uh, with the public, and the idea is that there would be special. Uh, special laws and orders to help protect them. 
So that's why I think the whole thing about the uh, capital offense came to to be for the uh, for those type of individuals. But being that, I couldn't understand the last thing you said. What did you say? You speak a little louder. Um, I think um, I think that's how the thing, the the whole idea of capital offenses coming up coming about in, in, in these cases. Uh, I think that came about because. Ideally, individuals are supposed to be, um, you know, above board and, you know, above approach and, you know, all that good stuff like that. And the community is supposed to be behind them, like, you know, like, you know, as they perform their duty. I think our skepticism comes about because we find that in many cases they're not like that. So I think that's why we um, we feel that way about those particular laws. Um, you know, we don't. I don't. I think we feel as though they're not deserving of those those type of laws that kind of like give uh you know kind of like uh, what I want to say. They want to. They don't deserve to have that type of uh, punishment for um, if you murder a police officer, you're saying, or a corrections officer, because maybe they haven't lived up to the standard that they're supposed to be representing. Right. I think that's the um, the basic position of a lot of people that they're not okay. they, they yeah. don't deserve those type of you know those type of laws that kind of like look out for them. But I I think ideally it's supposed to be like that way because they're supposed to be. Um, you know, so much, uh, you know, protecting the, the society and everything like that, and that's society's way of trying to protect them. You know, you know, actually, the, um, what we're speaking about is if a p- police officer actually murders somebody by law, it's murder. You know, sometimes police officers are in positions where they have to uh, take a man's life. They have to. They save their life or somebody else's, right? Right. Right? So it may be a corrections officer might find himself in that same situation. But we're saying in the cases where a police officer actually murders somebody, if it's murder one or murder two, why shouldn't he be subject to the uh, same laws that everybody else is subjected to? Matter of fact, with uh, I think it's a Spider-Man movie. The guy said it was great. Um, power comes great responsibility. So it is law to even be um, more strict on a man that we trust to use deadly force if he chooses to abuse that. You understand? To abuse that power, it should be more. Seem like it should be more strict on a police officer than, than a civilian if you want to do it that way. But I think it should be the same for everybody because his life is no better than a civilian's life. A civilian's life is no better than the, the police officer's life. All our lives are invaluable. Oh, right. Yeah, I agree with that. Right. So I'm saying if it's a capital offense, if murder is a capital offense, then it's a capital offense for anyone that does it. It could you risk being uh, charged with a capital offense if you murder somebody. So, you know, do you think that, that it should just be like that? A police officer, you could be charged with a capital offense if you murder someone. Not if you have to kill someone in the commission of your job. It's a little different because if you murder someone, that's not anything you're doing. You're doing it under the auspice of I'm a police officer, but you're, but you're wrong. 
You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. We have another caller. Oh, Q, do you have anything else to say? No, I'm good. Okay. Caller, welcome to the bottom of the store. It's me, Carlton. Kenny, what's up, I'm my a... brother? How you feel? I mean, I've been right. listening for a while. I've been listening for a while. Now, yo, uh, I, I, I could, uh, I could get to the board now. You just can handle your calls. I mean, you just okay, can do you your thing. Board? Okay. All right, we'll take the next okay. caller then. And then we got to Oh, no more callers. Okay. So, the no more callers. Is, right. The question here is, whose life is more important? Is the police officer, correction officers, you know, sheriff or whatever? Is this life more valuable than the citizens he's supposed to protect, the people whose taxes are paying him to do the job? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, why should it be a capital offense strictly for to kill a police officer or a corrections officer? But if a corrections officer or a police officer murders someone, why should he, shouldn't he be uh, held to the same standard legally as a citizen? And uh, that's the question here because, you know, there's a law there is a standard for uh, to kill a police officer, murder a police officer, that uh, you know you're subject to the capital punishment, which is the death punishment, the death uh, punishment, um, lethal injection when they do electrocution, whatever. I don't know what they do. So you know, so I'm just naming a couple of uh, I'm just going over a couple of things about murder. They have different levels, degrees of murder. You have aggravating and mitigating uh, factors. Um, some aggregated, aggravating factors. And these things that get you convicted, these aggravating factors are the things that really hurt you. The only aggravating factors that the judge and jury can consider are, are that the defendant committed the offense while committing or attempted to commit a felony while fleeing from a felony. He committed or attempted to commit, and he previously had been convicted of the same felony. That's a repeat offender have been previously convicted of at least state or federal offenses, each of which were committed in different occasions, involved serious bodily injury, and had a maximum penalty of at least one year imprisonment. That's your uh, violent uh, offender. Committed the offense knowingly creating a risk to, of death to another person in addition to the victim. That's your reckless, uh, that's your reckless guy out there, the guy that's spraying down the street, I guess. Blowing up that offense. Uh, committed the offense in an especially heinous, cruel, or depraved manner. And that's a special guy right there. Hire someone to commit, to commit the offense. That could be anybody. Uh, that's a lot of your, your gangland hits. Uh, committed the offense in return for payment for the expectation of payment for it. That's your hit, man. That's the guy that hired this guy. Committed the offense with an assault weapon. Mitigating factors. The jury or court must determine if a particular factor concerning the defendant's character, background, history, the nature of the circumstances of the crime is mitigating. Considering all the facts and circumstances of the case, mitigating factors are not defenses or excuses, but are factors which, in fairness and mercy, Tend either to extenuate or reduce the defendant's blame for the offense, or otherwise.
otherwise provide a reason for a sentence less than death. So, any fact or circumstance that lessens the severity or culpability or act, mitigating factors include an ability for the criminal to reform, mental retardation, and addiction to illegal substances or alcohol that contribute to the criminal behavior, a past good deed, you know, you don't have a criminal record, and many others. Recognition, recognition of particular mitigating factors vary by jurisdiction, state to state. So you go to one state, that mitigating factor may help. You go to another, you still get the chair. So automatic bars to the death penalty. Four factors automatically bar the death penalty. The defendant cannot be sentenced to death if he was under age 18 at the time of the crime. His mental capacity or ability to conform his conduct to the requirements of law was significantly impaired at the time of the crime, but not so impaired as to constitute a defense. So it's not going to excuse you, but they're going to recognize it was something wrong with you. He was guilty of a capital felony only as an accessory and had relatively minor participation. I just drove the car, right? He could not reasonably have been foreseen that his conduct in the course of committing the crime he was convicted of would cause or create a grave risk of someone's death. So those are the four things. Threatening behavior. Now, here's where it gets a little, to me, a little great. Threatening behavior is intentional behavior which could cause a person of ordinary sensibility, fear, or injury or harm. It can include acts of aggression, such as yelling at a colleague, pounding on desks, slamming doors, blocking or cornering or and sending threatening voicemails, emails, or other written threats. However, behavior cannot be considered threatening just because a person finds it offensive or rude. The act done should be such that a person feels that the accused person will harm them. Threatening behavior is an ingredient of many offenses. The precise definition of the term may vary according to the context in which it is used. The following is an example of a case law on threatening behavior. Michigan Department of Corrections Policy Directive Number, we don't care. It defines threatening behavior as words, actions, or other behavior which expresses an Intent to injure or physically abuse another person. So, now that could be loosely interpreted. You could perceive a man struggling to breathe as behavior that is threatening. What about a man who feels his spine being separated or crushed by the knee of an arresting officer? A death sentence or being maimed for life? First, as my friend Connie puts, there's no such thing as a bad cop. There are bad people who are cops, something like that. The blue suit and badge does not make him good, reasonable, rational, or a caring person. He will lie to protect, to preserve himself, his livelihood, and his friends. Remember Rodney King? What man in blue stepped in to stop the assault? Keep in mind how police officers react and respond to a police officer being assaulted. 
Which of the men in blue there filed a report against one or more of the officers that were present? Who thought a crime was being committed? Who made an arrest on the scene? And we're supposed to trust guys like that to make reasonable decisions that involve the use of deadly force or any force as far as that goes. I said they committed the offense in an especially heinous, cruel, and depraved manner. That's aggravating. How many times do you think that has happened? Why are the Supreme Court apprehensive about second-guessing the split decision in the heat, the officer's split decision in the heat of conflict? They have no problem second-guessing the split decision of a civilian. Aren't officers of the law supposed to be trained? Shouldn't that death penalty thing go both ways? Whether the force is reasonable is determined by the judgment of a reasonable officer at the scene rather than by hindsight. Well, hindsight is in the court system. That's what happens when we, or you, the court, hear, review, and discuss evidence in the courtroom. That is hindsight. Deadly force, an amount of force that is likely to cause either serious bodily injury or death to another person. Police officers may use deadly force in specific circumstances when they are trying to enforce the law. Private citizens may use deadly force in certain circumstances in self-defense. The rules governing these, the use of deadly force for police officers, are different from those for citizens. The rules governing the use of deadly force for police officers are different from those governing, governing citizens. So in the 12th century, the common law allowed the police to use deadly force if they needed it to capture a felony suspect, regardless of the circumstance. At that time, felonies were not as common as they are now. And in the 12th century, they didn't have that many felonies. That's interesting. And they are now and were usually punishable by death. Law officers had, more difficult, had a more difficult time capturing suspects because they did not have the technology and weaponry that they are that they are presently that are present in today's world. In modern times, courts have restricted the use of deadly force to certain dangerous situations. In police jargon, deadly force is also referred to as shoot and kill. The Supreme Court has ruled that, depending on the circumstances, if an officer if an offender resists arrest, police officers may use as much force as is reasonably required to overcome the resistance. Whether the force is reasonable is determined by the judgment of a reasonable officer at the scene rather than by hindsight. Now, hindsight is everything that occurs after that man is dead, after he's murdered, killed, or whatever you want to call it, by the police officer. Because police officers can find themselves in dangerous or rapidly changing situations where split-second decisions are necessary. The judgment of someone at that scene is vital when looking back 
at the actions of a police officer. I'm just want to ask and listen to the audience. Anybody out there ever found themselves in a dangerously or rapidly changing situation where split-second decisions are necessary? Because I know I had. So that's not something that just happens to police officers. Anyway, the Supreme Court has defined the objective of reasonableness standard as a balance between the rights of the person being arrested and the government interests that allow the use of force. The Fourth Amendment protects U.S. citizens from unreasonable searches and seizures, the category into which an arrest falls. The Supreme Court has said that a certain seizure is reasonable if it is based on probable cause. Here we go with that gray area again. And if it does not unreasonably intrude on the rights and privacy of the individual, this standard does not question the privacy of the individual. The standard does not question a police officer's intent or motivation for using deadly force during an arrest. It only looks at the situation as it has happened. And that's real Murky right there to me. It's what to be constitutional when an arrest is taking place. It must be the reasonable choice under all circumstances at the time. Therefore, deadly force should be looked at as an option that is used when it is believed that no other action will succeed. Therefore, deadly force should be looked at as an option that is used when it is believed that no other action will succeed. Now, I'm going to look at the guy's name, Eric Gardner. He was strangled. I think he was selling cigarettes and the police strangled him on the street. That's deadly force. Anytime you put your arm around somebody's neck, you're using deadly force. So there was, you know, are these guys saying that there was no other option but to grab Eric um, Gardner by the neck? No penal code, although not adapted in all states, restricts police action regarding deadly force. According to the code, officers should not use deadly force unless the action will not endanger innocent bystanders. The suspect used deadly force in committing the crime. You're pushing on onesies on the corner in front of a store. Or the officer believes a delay in the arrest may result in injury or death to other people. I guess they're going to die from smoking a cigarette. So anyway, in regard, it was a, seemed to be a, uh, that type of a threat, I guess. I don't know. What do you think? Circumstances that are taken into consideration are the severity of the offense, how much of a threat the suspect poses. See? Now we got another gray area here. You got a, you got a big black man, and he's not listening to, you know, the authorities. So right there, so maybe they, maybe the police become, you know, guarded, fearful, and the suspect attempts to resist or flee the police officer. When arresting someone for a misdemeanor, the police have the right to shoot the alleged offender only in self-defense. Eric Gardner, I'm going to see. Throwing blows at the cops. As an officer shoots a suspect accused of a misdemeanor for a reason other than self-defense, 
The officer can be held liable for criminal charges and damages for injury to the suspect. Mm. This standard was demonstrated in the Iowa case of Klinkle versus Sadler. A lawsuit, let me see, where Sheriff faced a wrongful death lawsuit because he had killed a misdemeanor suspect during an arrest. The sheriff said he had used deadly force to defend himself, and the court ruled in his favor. When police officers are arresting someone for a felony, the court has given them a little more leeway. The police may use all the force that is necessary to overcome resistance, even if that means killing the person they are trying to arrest. However, if it is proven that an officer used more force than was necessary, the officer can be held criminally and civilly liable. Now, this is a, remember, this is a model penal code, not used everywhere. So, when police officers are, uh, no, we said that. The Supreme Court ruled that it is a violation of the Fourth Amendment for police officers to use deadly force to stop fleeing felony suspects who are nonviolent and unarmed. Mm. The decision with an opinion written by Justice Byron R. White said in part, we conclude that such force may not be used unless it is necessary to prevent the escape and the officer has probable cause to believe that the suspect poses a significant threat of death or serious physical injury to the officer or others. Okay? So, God is telling about that two pounds of weed, house full of weed, please, you don't, have, you don't have a gun. You know, he's not trying to hurt him like this. You can't gun him down. Well, you should anyway. When deadly force is used by a private citizen, the reasonableness rule does not apply. Y'all better listen to that. The citizen must be able to prove that a felony occurred or was being attempted and that the felony threatened death or bodily harm. Mere suspicion of a felony is considered an insufficient ground for a private citizen to use deadly force. Wonder why. Okay, this was demonstrated in the Michigan case with People versus Couch, where the defendant shot and killed a suspect felon who was fleeing the scene of a crime. The Michigan Supreme Court ruled that Archie L. Couch did not have the right to use deadly force against a suspected felon because the suspect did not pose a threat or injury or death to Couch. He just so the guy got to be trying to injure you severely. He can't be arguing with you. Uh, he has to pose a, 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 a lethal, deadly kind of like threat. Where I guess the, the police, if you're a convicted felon of violent crimes and stuff like that, he might be able to, you know, I don't know. And like the cops got a little leeway to, with the, uh, the killing thing here. What happens when you increase the level of violence in the community? Anybody want to answer that question? Any callers out there? What happens when you increase the level of violence in the community? Well, my answer is violence begets more violence. Historically, check it out. Unfortunately, gun ownership is often associated with the devastating violence that takes place 
in communities around the country, especially those in which where there's a high poverty rate. Now, I don't know how those guns get in those impoverished or uh, can't afford to buy a $300, $400 gun or uh, $800, $2,000 uh, uh, machine gun, but they get there, right? Participants identify that frequent media portrayal of guns glorify their use and promote using gun violence as an acceptable means of conflict resolution. Well, I don't know about the media portrayal of, of gunplay, knives, sticks, and all that other stuff, you can, and how many friends you can get. So if, a person has, if one person uses a gun, another person is going to get a gun to even up the score to, to fight. You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. So if one, all I take is one gun, it could be a twenty-two. One gun is going to multiply the uh, the desire and the possession of guns in that community. Uh, people who are affected by that person with that gun, because you, that guy with that gun, you need a gun to go against. That's why the police have guns, right? So they point out that the media fails to provide the counter message that guns are dangerous, should not be stored, should be stored properly, and are not to be used for conflict resolution. Well, number one, I think I'm familiar with it, and I think that we all know that guns are dangerous. So it's no secret that guns are dangerous. I have, many, I have a, a couple of friends that have been murdered uh, by guns. You have a call. Caller, welcome to the Doctor and Thought. Hello. Caller, welcome to the Doctor and Thought. Kitty? Hello? Hello? Yes, welcome to the Oh, no, I didn't mean to um, pose a question right now. I'm just still listening. And, um, okay. Um, I may have a comment a little later, but I'm just listening to what you're talking about. Okay, we got like 15 more minutes, so I'm going to try to get through some of this stuff. Okay. okay, thank you. All right, call back. So, um, and I'm not saying that the media doesn't glorify uh, violence because it does. But I'm, um, I've learned that gun violence was dangerous since forever, even through the media. I've learned that guns are dangerous. People die, people get shot, and it's not a, not a nice thing. It's not a lovely thing. It's not anything that we look forward to going through, getting shot. People don't come back from that, some people. Some people don't come back the same. So, and it is a method of conflict resolution because we have this little thing called war. We have this thing called the military. We had quasi-military organizations uh, in the United States and other countries have the same type of uh, setups where people ultimately use guns to solve conflict resolution. So we don't want to send this message. I don't want to send that mixed message out that guns are not used for conflict resolution because guns. Used for the uh, 
the American Revolution, the American uh, British Revolution, the Civil War, the American, and what they sort of, the, the so-called uh, North American Indians with guns. So I don't know about that. Guns are used for conflict resolution, and we need to keep that in mind. Shooting an unarmed man, the, this guy says it's a fallacy of modern perception. That's a fallacy that uh, we, a police officer should not shoot an unarmed man. He shot an unarmed man. He was an armed police, had no reason to shoot him. That's what they say, right? How often have you heard those screams from, from an angry comedian? This guy said, Trayvon Martin may be the first to come to mind, but it happens more often than most people think. Kansas City firefighter uh, Anthony, Anthony Bruno, unarmed and drunk, was shot and killed by an off-duty police officer. And, of course, the most recent case, this little old, was Michael Brown in St. Louis, Missouri. Well, first I want to say Trayvon Martin was not murdered by a police officer in the line of duty. He was stalked and pursued by a man with a gun who suffocated who subsequently murdered him. Three months of 2016, 12% of blacks killed were unarmed, compared to 6% of whites, according to the Washington Post database. They, they keep a database for this thing. Check this out. In the study, researchers wrote that their analysts of the 990 fatal shootings in 2015 suggest that police exhibit shooter bias by falsely, is that word again, perceiving blacks to be a greater threat than non-blacks to their safety. Do I need to repeat that? In the study, researchers wrote that their analysts of the 1990 fatal shootings in 2015 suggest that the police exhibit shooter bias by falsely perceiving blacks to be a greater threat than non-blacks to their safety. Black individuals shot and killed by police were less likely to have been attacking police officers than the white individuals fairly shot by police, the study found. That's just a little information I still have to throw in there. The problem with the um, public outcry and the rioting in pursuit of justice, this guy said, is that most people don't exactly, most people know exactly nothing about physical combat and life-threatening situations. I'm calling out to the listening audience. I didn't grow up that way. I know about life-threatening uh, situations and physical combat and life-threatening situations. I grew up with that. I've seen it. I've been to I've been at the funerals. I seen my I seen a friend with his part of his head blown off. So I think we know a little bit about that. Some of us. Some of us don't have that experience. But unfortunately some of us did have that experience. They assume that if a person is married, that deadly force cannot and should not if a person is unarmed, excuse me, that deadly force cannot and should not be employed. And they are wrong. We understand nobody's going to take an ass whipping if they have a gun, a knife, a baseball bat, brick, or something to utilize to be that he can use to use against the uh, perpetrator. It's not uncommon for someone to use a weapon to gain an edge in a fight. After all, it's not a prize fight. It is combat, 
and it is not always fair. On the contrary, I think a lot of people know about life-threatening situations of combat. It doesn't take a genius to know when someone is trying to hurt someone. Sounds like someone is fearful. If you are, find another line of work. Confucius said, if you are fearful of height, do not get a job cleaning windows. Have you seen the viral videos? He goes on to say, have you seen the viral videos of the knockout games where they, I guess these kids running around or people, men, I don't know who they are, and they, they hit somebody, knock them out, and it's this big hee-hee-ha-ha thing. He said, what if they decide to go farther with that? Because you're unconscious, they could kill you. Okay? Right, that's true. Take the case of Michael Ford, for example. He walked up to a man sitting on a bench and simply started hitting him repeatedly until the man was dead. Wouldn't that victim have been, would that victim have been authorized the use of deadly force? Well, of course, like maybe just said, like, you know, if you have a gun or a knife or a brick or whatever it is, weapon you could use and somebody just beating the hell out of you, you're going to use it. And you can work the rest of it out after you get out of that situation. We know that happens. We know that uh, if a man attacks a police officer, which he shouldn't be doing, unless that police officer is, uh, you know, trying to murder him. Not arrest, murder. So this is uh, murder. I read you the definition of murder. It has nothing to do with him uh, proceeding in a legal fashion uh, towards the individual. It has something to do with him uh, breaking the law in that uh, trans um, action. He's trying to take your life. But you just have to be a police officer or a corrections officer. They don't have the right to do that because you're a police officer or a corrections officer. You don't have the right to take another man's life, and you should be subjected to the same laws that everybody else is when you murder. So I don't want people to get murdered confused with uh, the fact that police officers are put in dangerous situations, and sometimes they have to kill people who are trying to kill them. We quite understand that. At least I did. Bring in mind that people are people were beaten to death, he said, with hands and feet, more than people were uh, killed by assault rifles in 2012. Those victims were not allowed to use deadly force simply because their attackers did not have a weapon? I think not. Laws of self-defense seldom mention the use of a weapon. They are based on reasonable fear that your life is in jeopardy not the presence of a weapon in the hands of your attacker. So, you may have missed the television programs on the science of fighting. Now, he goes into talking about Randy Couture, and these guys are trained to hurt people and things like that. Well, you don't have to be Randy Couture to hurt somebody. You know, so, you know, he talked about the 200 pounds of force that, of, of a flow that he can put to an opponent's head. Yeah, that can happen. You can just get a, a guy with, come out of a bar that can do that. The rise of popularity of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, jiu-jitsu and MMA style sports. Yeah, I guess there's a, a, a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys out there committing crimes, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not even going to entertain this shit. I want to, you know, basically, this sounds like some scary stuff to me. Anyway, if your attacker is unarmed and gets you in a choke, gets you in a choke, is, is, what is that, you know? You're just going to let him 
let yourself die because you won't use lethal force against an unarmed opponent? Now, court, you're in a chokehold. That's lethal force being used upon you. So a citizen is going to use lethal force to get out of that situation. A police officer is going to probably use lethal force way before that situation. But how about Eric Gardner? Should he have used lethal force to defend himself? That's the guy that got choked out, cigarette single, in front of a store. How about if you're on your back being hammered in the face and you're moments away from losing consciousness and eventually death, just going to accept your fate? This guy said, I seriously doubt that. He said, I'm not. If I'm armed, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Oh, you know, we kind of understand that. Guys beating the crap out of you, you know. And some people will shoot you whether or not they feel it's life-threatening or not. They just don't want to take that beat. That happens, you know, and that's the risk people take when they have conflicts with other people. But we need to find a way to deal with conflict without violence. But we live in a violent society which is born from violence, which is uh, violence is a form of entertainment here. Violence is a way that we solve conflict. Let's just not make no, any mistake about it. You know what I'm saying? We, violence is perpetuated throughout the, the existence of, of our civilization. Maybe the existence of man. Who knows? You know, it seems like the way that we ultimately solve things to get what we want is to kill people or beat people into submission. So, he says if a cop walks up to someone out of the blue and draws his pistol and shoots them dead in the street, that's one thing. What about a cop trying to make a legitimate arrest for a guy who maybe uh, has a bench warrant for a nonviolent crime? The guy takes off and the cop shoots him. Ba, 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 ba. What about that? Is that not murder? Is that not murder, one? Because he had time to think about that. There's no emotion connected to a guy who wanted on a bitch warrant. I would be killing that guy. So anyway, you don't know the intentions of the attacker and can always allow yourself to be overpowered or not unconscious. All that's true. That's self-preservation. We understand that if you're being attacked and um, you use deadly force because you feel your life is in danger, but at what point do you use deadly force? You know, there's people who have fist fights, and like I said, one of those degrees of murder, sometimes a fist fight, you may get mad for it. You didn't mean to kill him, but you did. You know, we got boxers killing guys in the way. They didn't mean to kill that guy, but he did. He killed him. Things I thought about, about, you know, maybe the guy shouldn't get murdered based on certain um, circumstances like distance. Like he's nowhere... He's in a distance where he's not even a threat to you, and he's not a threat. He doesn't have a weapon. doesn't have anything. He's just, you know, nothing violent going on, nothing threatening going on. He's not trying to kill anybody. And he's put it over there. You don't have to shoot that guy. He's like on the side of the street, you know. Uh, his hands are in front in plain view. You know, what is a purpose? We got 90 seconds left. We have anybody that want to call, I need you to call them now. I'm just a non-aggressive posture, running away. Non-aggressive. He's not a threat. 
uh, reason for his wallet. And one guy got trying to pull his ID, told the cop he had it. He was licensed to carry. Got shot like four times with his kid and his wife in the car. You know, jogging or running. You know. And multiple gunshot wounds. Does it take 14, 14 shots to take a man down? Anyway, I want to thank everybody for listening and calling in. I want to thank Queen Mother for Real Media for allowing me to host the show. Um, I hope I wasn't talking too fast today. I was just trying to get a lot of stuff in uh, tonight and things for you to digest. I want to thank uh, Mr. Jones and my uh, uh, my assistant tonight. Um, everyone, please uh, stay tuned. Next week, we'll be back. And uh, feel free to call or listen, or you can download the show. You don't have to uh, call only on Saturday to hear the show. You can download it again, you know, on the website. So feel free to download the show, any show you miss that you might be interested in. We appreciate you calling. Don't forget, blogtalkradio.com backslash Queen Mother for Real. Have to listen to the show live or download. Okay? Thank you, everybody. Good night.